Hello and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season five, Daisy Chats. My name is Alan, and I'm joined by the unintelligent, robotic, long-legged chimpanzee android. It's Bobo the Bozo Robo, <laughs> Bobo Hobo Bonobo, <laughs> also known as Magellan. Oh, oh man, you got inventive there, bud. It took a lot of work. I had to fact check myself. I'm like, does this line up with this? Did I get it right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's really good. Ugh, how you doing? I'm good. This is a, this is a fun recording environment we're in, isn't it? Ain't it? Why do you say that? Um, well, first of all, we have our fun shower friend, the Daisy Chats companion in the background. <laughs> um, really just a stalwart um, companion for our show. And then also, uh-huh. uh, it's been a day. It's been a day <laughs> since we last recorded a podcast. Yeah, yeah. We're just, we're on our grind. Just a hot 24. Yeah, we're, we're, we're playing the catch-up game. We're here. Um, so did you just probably... coin that, calling a day a hot 24? I think I did. I think I just did that. I think we got. I think we got to make that nationwide. <laughs> I'll see you in a hot twenty-four. Like, oh, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, we we're just yeah we're playing the catch up. I mean, we watched the finale today. It's a, it's a nice little Sunday episode, and uh, we're gonna talk about it. So usually on Daisy Chats, we watch two episodes of Pushing Daisies a week, and we discuss them. Um, but this week we watched one episode because we hit the end of season one. Mm-hmm. Um, we watched season one. Episode 9, Corpsicle, which was written by Lisa Joy, directed by Brian Danley, and it aired December 12th, 2007. Magellan, what happened in this episode? Well, Alan, the facts were these. It's Christmas, and Emerson and Ned investigate the death of an adjuster from Uber Life Life Insurance, who was found in a snowbank. Their investigation leads them to the home of Abner Newsom, a 14-year-old in need of a new heart, literally and figuratively. Meanwhile, Oscar Vibinius continues his attempt to figure out Chuck's secret. Huh. Short, sweet, and to the point. Unlike this episode. This episode goes everywhere. Mm-hmm. They're just salting the earth with this one. I uh, I was really <laughs> impressed, to be honest with you, man. I was like, beginning 10, like, oh, we're here? All right, we're doing it. Okay, yeah, let's I go. Thought, I just want to say, I thought the script was great. Yeah, like, there are... The fact that I, that Bozo Bonobo line... Um, is a reference to a line in the show like the the wordplay and just the like quality of writing is on another level this week it, it's really uh, it feels like everyone's bringing their a game yeah and it just um, had uh, every line had this kind of like underplayed syntactical uh, genius isn't the right word but you know what i mean like that that kind of wes anderson quality but not annoying <laughs> well you <laughs> That's a description of the whole entire show. Wes Anderson, but not annoying. Yeah. Um, it's funny to me that that Lisa Joy, who wrote this episode, went on to do um, a couple, a lot of um, burn notice and also <laughs> um, <laughs> when you're a spy. Uh, she also co-created Westworld, the like hit uh, HBO oh, series. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. she. Um, I, I laugh because I just remembered that the SNL sketch where it's the game show of, you seen this one? The burn notice no, one? I don't. No, not the it's, burn notice one. It's like a sketch where the game show, the whole point is like contestants have to try to describe what burn notice is about. <laughs> and none of them know. Because, no, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I can try. I've never watched burn notice. There's a spy, and <laughs> he, he was like, his identity was put out there, so he had to take a new identity. And he has a bunch of spy friends and like a spy boss and they do, but he's like a hot spy and they do spy adventures. Burn notice. Yeah, that's, yeah, you're basically right. 
I used to listen to a this is dumb. I used to listen to a video games podcast that they turned into a lost podcast that they then turned into a burn notice podcast. <laughs> a spy recently disavowed by the US government uses his special ops training to help others. I was close. Yeah, you were close. You were yeah. pretty good. Um and then they always did the one year a spy thing. People actually liked Burn Notice. I liked it. I watched some episodes. It, it's yeah. fun. It's just the the sketch is also very funny. Yeah. Um but yeah, so so what did you think of uh, of Corpsicle? Um, you know, it kept my attention and interest more than the past few episodes, I think. And it had genuinely emotionally wrenching moments of character interaction. There are two scenes that stand out in particular for me. The first is, um, Ned is looking for Chuck for a while and it turns out that she's being hidden by Olive and then... Olive tells Ned that, so Ned finds her and talks to Chuck, and he's like, come on, what's the deal? Are you upset? And she's like, yeah, I kind of hate you. And that scene where he just wants to be around her and knows that doing that is worse for both of them, and you can see his heart like kind of slowly peeling in half, um, I really like that scene. And the other scene that, that struck yeah. me in that way was um, when Ned was in the car with Emerson, and he's talking about like how difficult things are, and it's like you don't understand. And Emerson's like, "Oh, well, maybe I do understand." By the way, I have a daughter. Uh, there you go. Yeah, he hit him with the story of Adadon, like diss track, except to himself. He was like, yeah. "I am hiding a child." <laughs> <laughs> that was so much, and it works. Like yeah. when when shows yeah. like this um, have the heavy moment, you're like, "Oh, like it's really you got to be really delicate with it because." Um, if you are going from like whimsy and silliness straight into that type of realness, it can often feel disingenuous or um, separate or distant. Or yeah, fake. it's hard to take it seriously. I mean, that's that's the reaction we had at the end of the last episode where Ned's like, "I killed your dad." <laughs> you right. know, it just kind of total whiplash. But here, it it feels justified. Like what you need out of that conversation, out of that line is the conversation that comes afterwards. We said this last week um, and it takes them like 20 minutes or something into this episode before they finally have that conversation. And it's really good. It's really, like you said, just one of the best scenes of the episode is them being like, well, we can't, this can't work. This can't just go away. I want it to. It would be awesome if I couldn't think about this, but this is a huge deal. Point, yeah. point blank. And it, it really... I really appreciate that they played this in a way that was honest to Chuck's character as she has existed so far. Because um, I, I said at the end of our last recording, I didn't know how this would go because Chuck is a reasonable person, right? She's yeah. not the kind of person who's going to say, "I we're like done forever. I can't believe you killed my dad. What? Um that's not the way that she acts. You you know that she's going to be understanding and that that's going to make it more difficult for her. Um, and so this is, this is a kind of like fight that you don't really see on TV very often, I think, or in movies really, because those fights always have the period of like, there's a misunderstanding and all that you have to do is cl clarify the misunderstanding. Right. right, right, right. But instead, there is no misunderstanding. Both characters totally know what's going on. Both characters totally see where the other person's coming from and totally validate and understand what the other person's feeling. 
but they're still hurt and they like she still hates him and that you know that is so real and feels so real to these characters and is something that you don't see in other tv or movie relationships very often and that is a space that the show can go to and makes it worth watching and and talking about yeah it sets itself apart in in those moments and in the fact that not only are the characters really honest and realistic with each other but a lot of the emotional um weight of this episode and the show is not explicit it's to be Mm -hmm. assumed from adults watching the show who know how romance works like they don't tell you why they should feel bad and they don't tell you why how dark it is that this young kid isn't getting a heart but you know like as a person who lives and has held had had family members or whatever with medical problems like yeah it fucking sucks um that insurance companies have to be evil like that but that's somebody's job that's just the way that somebody has to do their their work like it shakes me to my core to think about but in the episode itself they aren't saying those things and i think yeah. it gives the it gives the episode so much more weight when uh when they don't have to be so outspoken about it it, it really works yeah and that that comes through in lee pace's performance as well in this episode where he can he um <laughs> the way that you described him is you said that he always looks put upon in the show constantly i think that's man. i think that's true or he always just looks like concerned about yeah. something <laughs> yeah <laughs> or bashful those are really his two his two emotions yeah um but we don't need to see him like sobbing to understand why he's hurt the way that he is because you everybody who's watching the show and seeing themselves in the Ned Chuck relationship has had a moment where like with someone that they truly deeply care about, they have done or said or experienced something that has caused the other person to be hurt in a way that they can't mend uh, or it can't mend right away. And yeah, there's, yeah, you just, you get that from him and the way that he looks at her and the way that she looks at him. So there was really rich subtlety in the performances in this episode that I appreciated. And what's, what's also really amazing about the way this episode turns around is um, it's not like there is no longer a big reveal that they have for each other. There's nothing, there's no, basically there are no big secrets anymore. Um, And this episode is kind of framed as a series finale um, from what I read, because they weren't sure until the last minute that they were getting another season, all of the stuff that hints at what's coming next uh, was added later. Like, I bet mm. you the final scene was added later right? Uh, with Aunt Lily and, and, and all of that. Um, but all of that, it feels like they are setting up mysteries and questions without making it feel like a tease. Like, honestly, the end of this episode is one of the most satisfying cliffhangers I've ever seen mm. um, mm-hmm. because it means a ton for the show and where it's going and it's, it's characters, but you didn't like, you can say that. And then the show could also just end. And I'd be like, all right, yeah, yeah. we learned something that re- that reframes the past. Instead of just hinting at the future, it tells me something about what I've already seen. And I can, True. I yeah. can watch season like one as go a complete rewatch role. the show. Yeah. There's uh, a new conception of it. That's right. Cause true. you, you go back and you think about how on Lily has always been like, they, they reinforce uh, in the, the reveal that we're talking about saying aunt, aunt Lily is, uh, chuck's mom she is in fact not Aunt lily she is uh mrs mrs charles well maybe i mean you don't have to be married to have a kid well she's okay she's this the senior the the elder charles woman 
Well, What's the she word? might not be a Charles. The dad is Charles. Oh, I see what you're saying. She could just also yeah. be. Well, we don't know her last name. True, true, true. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, you, it makes you think about all the different times that she's been the distant aunt and how, uh, like in the flashbacks, how she's talking about how she doesn't hug people, except she does after um, Chuck dies. And then um, when she sees Ned, she does hug him and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, man, yeah, all of this it, ties back yeah. together. Mm-hmm. It gives you a lot of perspective on her and why she's so reserved um, and why it's for some reason like it didn't make sense before. Why is it so much harder for her to want to get back out there than it is for Lillian? And the reason oh. is, well, her real daughter died. Right. Yeah. It's uh, Lily, by the way. Lily and Vivian. What did I say? I said Lillian. Lillian, oh, <laughs> Lillian and Vi- Lillian my, and Vivi. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> I, I love Final Fantasy Nine. Yeah, Vivian. That's what. I um, mean. did Olive have much to do in this episode other than be a shoulder to cry on? Um, because there's really. a difference she... between there's a difference between Olive's relationship to Chuck in this episode and Oscar's relationship to Chuck. Yeah, Olive mostly was just in the episode to facilitate characters doing or having plot moments that they needed to have so she was um with chuck talking to chuck about like why'd you why did you uh frame your death or or fake your death or whatever um and that was a that was a funny moment where (laughs) chuck tries to tell her the truth and she says okay if you don't want to tell me tell me (laughs) that's a that's sort of a classic uh you know, fantastical story in the real world kind of trope, but I, I like it every time I see it. Right. Yeah. Um, so she was there for that. And then she and Ned were talking and then she's with the ants. So really not, not a ton of movement for Olive, except now she has the secret about aunt Lily, which is going to give her a little more to do, I think in season two. Definitely, and she's she's thinking on the right track uh, in in terms of Chuck. Like she she was seeded a little bit more of those of those thoughts about like maybe Chuck's not normal, and maybe something's yeah. going on there. Um, there's a lot of talk about ghosts and spirits in this episode, yeah. um, which I think I'm surprised the show hasn't done yet because just the idea of bringing someone back to life does technically, by definition, make them a, a specter, a ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, and the show has not treated Chuck as a ghost so far. It's sort of treated her as a person given a second chance, like a real corporeal person and not a resurrect, not like a zombie, yeah. mm-hmm. not a ghost and not anything like that. It's like she is now returned to personhood. And that dichotomy gets played with in the in the, in the wording of this episode. I like a lot. Um, yeah. Just one one last thing on Olive before. I think we want to transition to o- talking about Oscar Fabinius. But yeah. um, before we do that, just one thing I want to note is we i think we try to stress often or as often as possible um when shows succeed or fail at rendering female friendship um Mm -hmm. because it's something that's handled by and large pretty irresponsibly by by entertainment media and i think we should recognize the fact that other shows may have positioned Olive and Chuck to like hate each other and compete with each other. Um, and it is good to see this show moving towards Olive is like a confidant for Chuck and Olive is helping her to connect with her aunts. And Olive is, is a person 
in Chuck's life who has like a significant relationship to her that is different than just jealousy. Yeah. Right. When I say it's a shoulder to cry on, I mean like it is a it is a companionship. It is a respect and a a uh, an empathy. Yeah. Uh, that really works. Um, I I think there's even more uh room for their friendship to change for sure but it's going in the right direction definitely because like you could even argue that like the empathetic friend is still a bit of a trope like i'm the friend that you listen to and go like oh fuck that guy like he's bad yeah that's Um, true so but they're but they're definitely getting there and it is important for us to stress so that's a good thing um where we where we're at yeah um because i think kristen chenowitz an amazing actress i think she's great yeah um like brings a physicality because of her um her work on broadway um (laughs) And a musicality to her delivery that really works with this show's like snappy dialogue. It's really funny to to have gone from uh, the newsroom where like the snappy dialogue often gets just fun- completely in the way of its storytelling mm-hmm. uh, to this show where it's like quick back and forth makes it feel like poetry or um, or theater. Honestly, yeah, like it actually yeah. works in in a way. Um, and speaking of of theatrics, I mean Paul Rubin's character uh, Oscar Vibinius. Um, really, really cool as the like Shakespearean purse character that you can sort of turn an ear to and and pay and talk to, um, mm-hmm. that will hear you and understand your plight without saying it back to you, but totally gets it. Yeah. Um, like the sort of devilish appeal of somebody being let into your world and understanding who you are and what what is yeah. going on in your head. Yeah. Um, like that scene of them on the roof starts out really corny, uh, and you and I, um, we watched this one together and we were like like oh man this is weird like taking a minute to get past like the green screen and the fact that chuck's like sitting on the edge of this perilous roof in the middle of a snowy day but then like he gets there and they have this conversation and he's like um you know what is it like i don't remember any of the lines specifically but basically talking about like how what is it like having a problem that no one else has and what is life if you are given a second chance and all this stuff like asking the really big questions there there's something in this you know, at first, I, the way I responded to Oscar Vibinius in this episode was I was a little bit creeped out by him because he's doing and saying creepy things. It feels like uh, they know that, though, right? Because he like, takes the hair. But I, what I'm realizing about it as I think about it more is that, to me, this, the, these um, interactions she has with him are analogous to, like, an affair. Yeah, that's a good point. Where... She's like tempted by sharing with him like the things that are important to her because she feels hurt or she feels distanced from the person that she's with. Um, And she just like needs to be understood so deeply that she's willing to make a mistake. Um, And so that that reframe for me first i was creeped out and then i was like well this is like purposefully erotic him like smelling her hair and close talking and saying like oh you know i understand and i like you're different and all these things it just it, it yeah it feels like he's a sort of like figure of temptation yeah 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 um, it's like sat- in a satanic way like in the traditional biblical satanic way yeah, maybe. Like I, I'm yeah. giving you the thing you don't, you didn't even know you wanted, but I'm giving it to you in spades in a way that's like kind of different and twisted. Yeah, I think in in this the like storybook context, it it makes sense to think of it as like satanic. Yeah. Although I think it could be grafted onto like real life, where you know not not all of 
not all of this sort of temptation is like deeply sinful it comes from a place of that makes sense like every person wants to be understood and to be accepted and when you're in pain or when when the option in front of you is like everything that you want it it makes sense that you would be uh persuaded by it but i think yeah in this in this world the figure of that temptation has to be the sort of like weird sewer scientist guy (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. I I really I really loved all of the like one on one scenes in this episode. I think it it shines in those little bits of dialogue. Um, uh, I mean there is there is an a plot. There is a a crime this episode. I which I did really like. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this early on, but but uh, maybe I did. Well, like this show often reminds me of um the Coen Brothers and Fargo in particular. Uh, and this this like plot is straight up just Fargo a hundred percent. Um. We have insurance fraud. We have unknowing criminals. We have a like put upon sad child. Uh, we have a person who is entirely committed to their work. Like it, it really does feel like a Coen Brothers plot. It's really good. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good parallel. Um, it just so it's about this. There's this kid, um, and he uh, has a basically like a, a terminal heart disease. Um, and that's, that's shortened his lifespan by a lot. And he was trying to get a heart transplant, but, uh, the insurance company deemed him unworthy because, um, he, he didn't have a lot of money and he didn't have a high life expectancy. So just the powers that be did the crunch the numbers and said, nope, this guy doesn't get a heart as opposed to someone else. Um, and initially, um, because the first murder is one of the people who works in the insurance company, they start thinking, uh, it was his mother who's this really like caring like tries to do her best for him, but like understands that the world is unfair character. Um, Mm -hmm. I think if we had seen more of her, I would have believed this red herring, but because she was only in it for like literally one scene, I was like, all right, well it's not that it doesn't work like that. It's not that easy. Um, And also we literally in this show have already done the, like the mom is mad about the world being unfair to her son plot. Right. Yeah. We, I, I, really I don't think the show, do I don't think the episode ever expected us to believe it was her. Yeah. Um, because at this point they know that we're watching a procedural and we're not going to believe that the person we meet at minute 25 is the villain because that's just not how it works. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, I like the reveal of who the killer was. I didn't think I was going to be satisfied by whatever. I thought it was going to be like the CEO of the insurance company. Yeah, or it's something. like the biggest bad. Yeah. Um, but it being the like the wish a wish person continues this show's interest in subverting your expectations around like what is good and what is evil. Right. Like, if the show is all about, like, death is actually life and, like, all of the sweet things, like Chuck and, like, the fruit and the pies and that sort of stuff, they come from death. So, like, maybe death's not bad. And then last episode, or when we talked about um, Napoleon Linez and, and Oscar Verbinius, and it's like, oh, the guy who's all clean and proper is evil and the guy who's dirty in the sewer is good. And then this episode is saying, well, this, the woman who's all happy and smiley is murderous. Um, it seems to fit with this show's interest in reversing your understanding of, of um, 
very basic assumptions around character archetypes and who is good, who is evil. Exactly. And I think there's even a read on this show's morality uh, that has to do with economics and work and labor. Mm, okay. um, I've mentioned this before, but like, uh, again, the so far, most of our villains have been rich men, have been like CEOs or uh, writers or, or various famous people. Um, and it would be very easy to think that the insurance adjusters are the bad guys in this in this episode because like, yeah, nat- naturally, it's so it's like it's right there. They're taking a heart away from a poor kid. That's like, true. We, we know that yeah. the kid is shitty, and but he's ungrateful because the world is super unfair to him. Like he has total reason to be shitty. Yeah. Um, but they're the ones who are killed. Like they, it, it is like. Um, it is like comedic how every time we meet an insurance adjuster before they even get a chance to say a mean thing, it's just their job. They just right. do a nine to five to work for their, their family. Right. Um, the villain is a person who is so committed to her job and committed to her career and, and this idea of, of I can make any wish come true. Like when you let your job become yourself and you let it entirely encompass who you are, uh, when you get a challenge that is hard enough that it feels impossible you're going 200% and that'll turn you into a murderer. If this guy said yeah. it's a, it's sort of like a twisted genie story uh, in a way. Yeah. It's like I the one thing I want is I want everybody who denied me a heart to die or to 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 die or to fall over or whatever he says. And she's like, "All right, well, let's take that to the word of the law and let's let's go out there and start killing." Mm. Um it's really it, I feel like there is something there. There is something about like yeah, there's something, this is my job. There's something about like obsession and about the sort of single-minded definition of yourself as like, I need to do this and I need to succeed at this at every possible moment. That is your undoing. I don't know if that, I think we've been able to tie parallels in past episodes between the villain or the crime and Ned and Chuck. I don't know what the connection is here. Um, but that's the, that's the nugget that I'm seeing right now. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think that's just the kind of stuff they can flesh out as much as they want. There's infinite yeah. um, storytelling potential in people having like work problems that turn them into villains. I'm into it. I mean, I'm I, if this is where the show is going, if this is the quality of the show going forward, then I'm a hundred percent on board. Yeah. Um, because this feels like a perfect type of episode of Pushing Daisies. Like we have a good crime plot it relates to the main story we learn things about the main characters mm-hmm. it's beautiful as always it's it's weirdly darkly comedic as always um and it has a really uh powerful emotional message yeah um it's just good stuff i really yeah like i i'll be honest when we started around the middle of the season i was like oh like i like this show but we're kind of sliding into a rut and we're like quickly whittling away at the really big ideas to talk about um, like, does this show have any more to present to us than it's the stuff we saw in the first episode? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it's finally, it's it's turned around for me. Yeah, same. Uh, did you have any other stray notes? No. Um, I My main thing was I just really liked that um, all of the people who worked at the Uber Life Life Insurance Company um, <laughs> had names based in German. Yeah. Uh, Steve Kaiser, Bill Richter uh uh victor and Aramore, just like i didn't get that and then as soon as they were like richter and kaiser i was like wait wait <laughs> that's mm-hmm. good that's good we're having fun here but yeah and then i have a little bit of trivia here um okay. as mentioned before this was the last episode handed in before the wga strike 
Before the start of Strike, many rewrites, many, if not all, written by Ryan Fuller, were done so that this episode could function as a season finale. Therefore, the first season only had nine episodes, only 13 short of the episodes ordered by ABC. Oh, and then the other 13 were the rest. That's season two. Interesting. Mm. Um, while Chuck is in the cemetery, she comments that she has no headstone and that they wait a year for the permanent marker, which is a reference to the Jewish tradition of unveiling a headstone on the first year anniversary of someone's death. Mm. Tying into Emerson's comments in the pilot about Chuck's family burying her so quickly, again, according to Jewish tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in this episode, Chuck's father's, uh, father's name is revealed to be Charles Charles, keeping up with the running gag of redundancies. Mm-hmm. Um, Bonobo is actually a species of chimpanzee, not monkey. That's all right, guys. <laughs> Someone's a nerd. I was, yeah, I was going to say. Um, in this holiday episode. Oh, I noticed this. In this holiday episode, some Christmas classics were peppered throughout the score. They did like... Mm. like royalty free versions of jingle bells and like dance like sugar plum fairy and all that stuff in here mm. i kept hearing it and i was like because they would do like the beginning of one like dun 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 like, yeah. like wait a minute that's did i hear that i i think that's really cool i think that's a really fun way to like do a christmas episode without getting agreed. sued agreed references to the iceman cometh uh the one that we both laughed at all of saying to ned i also Heard you walking the streets, moaning her name like something out of a Tennessee Williams. <laughs> Just streetcar name desire plastered yeah. right there. Um, and yeah, that's what I got. Um, Great. So I wanted to ask in general, um, Magellan, mm-hmm. what have you thought about season one so far? What did you like? What did you not like? Um, highlights. And um, what do you want to see? Yeah. Um I really love the tone of this show, the way it looks, the way it feels, the way it's shot, the way the characters talk. Everything about it feels different and like something that I want to see as much of as possible. Um I think well, I also liked certain interactions between Ned and Chuck that drive at showing us a relationship that is further along in development than other relationships that we see in shows like this, because we're able to start with the assumption of like, they both love each other. It's not a question of like, are they going to love each other? Are they going to kiss? What's going to happen? No, they love each other. And now they're going to have like real beginning of a relationship problems with each other. Um, and so you you take the frame of reference that most shows have on relationships and you shift it just a little bit down the road um, so you can answer different questions than are usually asked. The stuff that I'm a little more hesitant with, and I'm curious to see how much of this is just because we're seeing this show in the midst of the writer's strike, um, it just kind of feels like they're still not great at tying the case of the week to why I should care about it. And I want to see more work done to make that feel purposeful. Uh, Cause I'm not super, I'm not interested in this just being a procedural that's about like solving the case. Yeah. That's, no not, what this, that's not what the show is supposed to be. So I'm, I'm not like upset and I don't think that they did a bad job. I'm just curious to see how they continue to work through it for season two in terms of predictions. I think the biggest question that has to be answered 
in this show is like, will it ever be possible for Ned and Chuck to touch each other? Will that ever happen? And I think that that has to be answered and decided at some point. Either there's like some loophole that makes it so that they can, or there's some reason for them to part ways, or there's some reason for her to die again. One of those things I think is going to happen. Probably the first one, but I don't know. Right. Um. God, I... What about you? Yeah, th- um, I have a lot of comments. So basically, I like a lot of those same things. I, I also just really appreciate this show's optimism. And and this is a thing that uh, Brian Fuller in general has really got from what little I've seen of Hannibal. But um, taking the morbid and making it inspirational and meaningful and beautiful. Because mm-hmm. um, Hannibal is a show about a murderer um, who kills people in like creative, twisted, gruesome ways. But they are filmed like art pieces and like almost borderline like pornographic like food and and, comparisons to like gourmet Mm. cooking and the way that you photograph that Mm -hmm. um and like pushing daisies takes that idea about and does it about death and like we think so much and we talk so much about like spirits and what does it mean to die on this show and like why do we die and what do we try to do before we die like what does a life mean and what is a life worth living um and it, it wraps it up in this really like positive bow that to be honest is like nicer and more um like uplifting than a lot of shows mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with crime or death or anything like that it is yeah. it is a it is a show that makes me confident that death is is something to be loved and not feared mm. things i don't like i feel like like you said the pacing can often feel kind of off with the show and um yeah it's taken a little while to find its legs i i think that there were episodes early on that i liked a lot more than the middle and then the end worked out really well but definitely there were a few episodes there in the middle where i was like yeah like i get what we're doing here but i want i all we we you and i are the same in that we pretty much always want more of the like series long plot as opposed to the episode per episode plot yeah i think um, so i think that's just more enjoyable um so yeah as, as long as we keep getting stuff like that i think um this show will continue to impress um from what i i haven't seen basically anything of season two um except that well i've I've like heard ideas of it there's like another musical number there is it's longer it's 13 episodes mm-hmm. and they expand the cast a little bit not like the main cast but there's a lot more people like introduced okay um my main hope for for season two is a that we get better at blending the 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 episode the a plot and the b plots together that's like if we can hit that perfect balance like we did in this finale then we're good we nailed it that's sure. it there. that's like a yeah. perfect season um i think I, I my immediate guess was like chuck has to die at some point he has to touch chuck again i think so but isn't that so sad that's what like, i'm saying isn't the show that is too not sad right it goes against what i was just saying about this show is like that's super that's a huge bummer if he's like well chuck like on the only way that can they can make that work is if like if they make it something that she wants and she realizes right, that de- like right. it's her coming to grips with like no death was not the end i was never like gone from you um in death and i'm willing to go back myself and makes that choice herself and it's even then though it's a little rough so i i yeah that's just the easy response maybe um they yeah maybe they find a loophole i i hope so but i like that the i like that there's hope i like that this show has made us hopeful and it's not a cynical like yeah of course she's gonna get killed at the end like that's how it works right um i think that's really great about this this series yeah i agree so to look forward um next week 
on Daisy Chats, we are going to be beginning season two of Pushing Daisies. Mm. Magellan, my boy. <laughs> Magellan Shonen. Uh, what <laughs> are we going? What episodes are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching the first two episodes of season two. First up is episode one, bzzz, uh, which I think is a B sound. Chuck goes undercover as a B-girl at a honey-based cosmetics company after their new spokesmodel is stung to death. She soon discovers that office politics are killer, literally, between the founder, played by Missy Pyle, and the new owner. Meanwhile, Ned can't stand her growing independence or the hmm, or the fact that she wants to move out of his apartment. Ooh. In other developments, Lily spirits Olive off to a nunnery so she won't spill Lily's deep, dark secret. Get thee to, do they say get thee to an honorary? Are we doing that? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Oh, boy. The second episode is called Circus Circus. George Ann Heaps, played by Rachel Harris, hires Emerson to find her missing daughter, who has apparently run away. And the trail leads to a circus surrounded by murder in the form of several dead clowns. Oh. <laughs> Meanwhile, Ned and Chuck try to deal with the change in their relationship, and Olive considers staying longer at the nunnery. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god this uh, nunnery is gonna be a thing isn't it oh this show's too much <laughs> yeah, i love it to death all right i love it to death get it <laughs> uh, 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 i haven't done the backwards edit thing on this podcast in a while but it, i missed i miss doing it you know what happens is i'll do it like for a cold open, um, I used to do occasionally would do a joke where we would say something in the in our pre roll, and then I would just play it backwards and like loop it in stupid ways. Um, I stopped doing that because I don't like the idea of showing somebody like, well, here's my television podcast. Like this is my thing, my friend Majel and I do, and the intro is Majel being like, it's just embarrassing. So I keep those for myself, and I, I share them amongst my friends, but not, not for the actual pod. But I digress. That is where we are. Magellan. Yes. Sorry, I, I got I, I just ran out of words there. I need to uh, sort of uh, fill myself with more words. Let me open okay. up the fridge. Yeah. Let's look inside for some words. Ooh, Anything good in there? Banana. Okay. Uh, ovulate. Okay, yep. let's see if we can make something out not of this. super useful. Waltz. Okay. Plug zone. Huh. Okay. Banana waltz. Da 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 da. Oh. Uh, hi, welcome to the plug zone where we plug our stuff. <laughs> Whew. Uh, tough crowd out there, Ted. How you doing? <laughs> tip, <laughs> tip your waitress. Uh, you can follow the show over on Twitter at ChatsPod. That's spelled C H A T Z P O D. You can email us feedback, comments, questions for the middle segment at chatspot at gmail.com. And um, rate us on iTunes. Rate us five stars if you like us or not. Leave us a review. Write one if you'd like. And uh, recommend us to your friends. Yeah. In addition, if you would like to support us and get access to some bonus content, um, go ahead and check out patreon.com slash chatspod, uh, where if you back us at $2 a month or more, you will get access to any and all secret special recordings that we do for our chatsies uh, over mm -hmm. there. It helps us out a lot. Magellan, where can people find you on the online? People can find me online on Twitter at JustaFluke. That's J-U-S-T-A-P-F-L-U-K-E. They can also listen to me on another show called Adulthood, adulthood.simplecast.fm. Alan, what about you? 
Wait, when's the next Adulto coming out? Uh, soon. I'm about to be on summer break, so I have more time to live my life and do what do the things I love. <laughs> but I love it. I love it. Like, hang out with me? Yeah, dude. Oh, man. Hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. <laughs> my new favorite vine. We have to do a new vine every week. <laughs> it just keeps happening. <laughs> Chew life. I'm allergic to my own goddamn dick. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen really? that one. Oh, it's uh, what's his face? Cole, the guy with the glasses. And oh, the yeah, he's really funny. Chew life. I'm allergic to my own goddamn dick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me online at Alan Ibrahim on Twitter. That's A-L-L-E-N-I-B-R-A-H-I-M. I'm taking a little social media break, though, for the summer, so don't expect to find me there. Hmm. But do follow <laughs> it. It's a good account. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's going to hit its 10-year anniversary while I'm not on it. So, uh, whoops, nice. sorry. That's really wild to think about. But yeah, you can also listen to me on two other podcasts. One is The Garnet Wager, found Ooh. on ScanlineMedia.com and whenever you, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's where my friend Six and I watch the Korean game show The Genius and make bets and win prizes. And it's a very, very fun time. Mm-hmm. Also, check out Fireside Friends. It's a monthly podcast that I do with Ryan and Katie, my friends, where we talk about friendly media and discuss it in a fun and critical way. And that's at FiresideFriends.net. Cool. Thank you. No, personally, thank you, dear listener. I don't mean to sound accusatory, but thank you for listening to this episode of Daisy Chats. You're welcome. Keep on. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> That's it. No, say it. Say the thing. Say no. Say the thing. What's the thing? Yeah. Oh, you want me to say the the line? Yeah, the sign off phrase. Yeah, that classic Daisy Chats sign off phrase. What is it, Magellan? Keep so I know living. so I know what it is. Oh, there it is. <laughs> I stepped all over it. Bye. <laughs>